Alright, you white motherfuckers. All eyes on me. This is the Average Years Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Mr. Fox of the I Refuse Podcast with a bonus episode for you guys. Upon hearing the news today of the passing of DJ Steven Twitch, who was not only Ellen's DJ during the course of our show, but also a very accomplished professional dancer, pop locker. I believe he was on So You Think You Can Dance. News broke today that... He died by the hands of suicide. And seeing the outpouring of grief and so many people showing their love and support, it's clear that Stephen Twitch has affected so many people through his work, through his talent. It inspired me to do an episode to not only share my journey through mental health and what that looks like, but to also shed some light on some of the truths as it pertains to mental illness and suicide and the struggle through that journey. As someone that has suffered from mental illness long before I knew that's what it was called, I started going to therapy by way of the mental health clinic for the first time during my military service. I was active Air Force, active duty Air Force from 2000 to 2004. And at that particular point, You know, I was 17, just taking an opportunity to get away and change my life. Not realizing why or acknowledging why, not sure why. I just knew I wanted to go to college. And this was my opportunity. Went to the desert in the summer of 2001 for about a three-month temporary summer, which was supposed to be temporary and was supposed to be three months, to Kuwait. Now, up until that point, you know, I wasn't... I was a low-level airman. I was working out of the administration office, essentially doing computer support work, but also some administrative work, Closely with and for the flight commander, who was a captain at the time, and a senior master sergeant, who was the superintendent. And it was okay. Um, The environment started to change a little bit. I wasn't too affected by it at first. I took this assignment to go to Kuwait just to travel and see what was going on. It was it was light duty at first. I was probably all of about 18 years old on my way to being 19. And I said, sure, I'll go. Got there. Essentially what the assignment was, was I was just to 
be an augmentee or outsourced support with the military police, uh, security detail, watching the local third world country nationals come on base and do construction on base. And it wasn't too bad, but then 9-11 happened. And, of course, that changed everything. It was a lot tighter. The hours were a lot longer. Um, and we were not even two countries removed from Afghanistan at the time. Again, in the moment, didn't think really anything of it. Of course, the stress level was high because you don't know what's going to happen, how this is going to play out. Um you know, the sense of helplessness, watching the towers fall over a TV, through a TV, watching the smoke and the planes hit and the crying and the yelling and feeling helpless in the moment to, you know, your stress and your anxiety going through the roof, not able to make sense of anything that's going on and realizing you know, there's a strong shift occurring, not only on base, but throughout the world. For me, it was just not stressing. Um, I was a bit worried, hell, are we ever going to get out of here? Because all travel, plane, vehicles, were at a standstill. They changed our starting end times to some of the security spots, the details that we had. We had to travel. If we were traveling off base, it was only to and from a checkpoint we were due to work at at the airport. And it was always at night. We didn't know what the to do. So, you know, I ended up having to stay probably an additional two weeks came back and yes I was different I felt like there was more I should get out of life and I was really starting to become hopeless now mind you what a lot of people are not aware of and this varies from person to person as far as how much Early age childhood trauma can play into your mental health. For me, I was probably all of not even 12 yet, 12 years of age. It's probably like 10 or 11. Coming home, normal night, a couple people in the apartment that had been there for a while, and my mom, of course, came home 9, 9.30 at night like I always do, drop my book bag off, did my usual nightly routine, shower, brush my teeth, eat, blah, 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 go into the back bedroom to watch TV. Nothing was out of the, the ordinary. At some point, maybe like an hour or two after I got home, I heard a loud commotion heard a large thud noise coming from the front room and my mother scream 
first instinct was to run and hide because I don't know what's going on. And I'm the only child in this apartment. Not even 10, 15 seconds later, there's like a football team of grown-ass men in SWAT gear that run into the back bedroom where I am. Full SWAT gear, helmet, line, the red line of sight, guns, flashlights, shields, have all, have everything, all their weapons aimed at me. And I'm standing there next to the dresser. Went the rest of my life not realizing I had been storing that away. Wasn't It was never addressed to me. I was just 11 years old being essentially bussed from place to place. Uh, from my apartment that I shared with my mother to my aunt's house, aunt and uncle's house who lived in East Baltimore City, who still live there. Nobody is really saying much of anything to me. You know, being black, growing up in a black household, you're essentially raised to just mind your business, stay out of adult business. I was never taught to ask questions or really express myself as far as whatever what was going on. All I knew was, okay, we're going from this house to that house, going from this house to a row house in Baltimore City to meet with some white man in somebody's kitchen. Then, before you know it, I'm standing outside of a jail and going through a checkpoint, going to get my and my mom comes out and I don't see her for a while after that. I packed all that away. Never had a conversation with her until I was about 13. We were living back together again, and she apologized to me, but she never went to any details. And she had her N.A. book. Again, never asked. I packed all that away, right? So imagine it's 2001, late 2001. I get back home. I'm different. I'm realizing that I'm not happy. And I can't place my finger on it, but at that particular moment, I realized I'm not, in my present time, I'm not getting fulfillment out of my job. And I'm not getting fulfillment out of life. And I start going to the mental health clinic. I start meeting on a weekly basis, sometimes two to three times a week, with a social worker and a mental health professional, both of which are officers specialized in this sort of thing. I'd been going for about two years and it was probably the middle of that second year where 
I was offered to commit myself to a mental hospital off base. And I took them up on it. It was roughly about five or six days. For the most part, nobody outside of my leadership knew where I was. And it was essentially what you expected. A mental... It was a mental facility next to a hospital off base in town. You know, you have room and board. You have your own room. You may have a roommate. I don't think I had one. You had a common area in each, in the center of each pod of rooms. You met other people who were also going through something. Um, Most of them were civilians that lived or were natives of the the town where I was stationed. Some people were sent there who were also active duty. There was a guy that came in there that was a Marine, I believe. Within an hour of getting there, he, he had an episode to where we were told we were, the whole building was on lockdown We were told to close our doors and don't come out until you're towed over the PA system. He was in his room flipping shit over, um, messing up the bed, like throwing chairs, um, which led me to believe that he was forced to go there. Um, But after that, like, Later on that day, he came out, introduced himself. He was social, um, became real cool with me and like two other women that were there. And I was there to not only participate in group sessions, but also to have one-on-one sessions with some of the staff there. Um, We were able to to discuss life experiences, be very vulnerable, which was new to me. Um, I was never really taught how to express myself. Um, It was more so just do what I tell you. Don't talk back. Don't ask questions. But to be in a group session just speaking and opening up that opened a lot of doors for me as far as expression it was definitely the first step in progress and secure self-security and i'd been doing that there for about five or six days you know for up until that point i was doing the one-on-one sessions for about two years I was also, while I was at the hospital, make new friends, feel comfortable, feel safe, and not feel ashamed for opening up and facing what I didn't acknowledge prior. You know, I got back to the base. You know, by that point, I was in a different squadron, um, different leadership, which made the world a difference. Um... 
and I was able to keep going to therapy. But a lot of us who are going through a mental health journey, have struggles and setbacks and everything, are not so lucky. And, you know, again, as this varies from person to person, the the therapy, there is no... It's not a sure thing. Um, you know, just because you go every day or go once in a while, it doesn't necessarily mean you are healed. It's it's a continuous battle. I have I remain in therapy. I still go. I like DJ Twitch. Um you know, I saw some people in some of the comments on Twitter, recognize that in some photos and some videos that have been coming out of him, like either in interviews or in promo shots, people acknowledge that there's no light in his eyes. And I totally see, can resonate and understand that because people I've come across who have met me can see or sense the pain in my eyes. And it can just be from regular conversation. And even up until that point, I didn't face what happened when I was 11 or 12 years old and all that comes with it emotionally. Um, Even though at some point I was able to have a breakthrough and face that and the result being even more secure and more connected to my own self and believing in myself more it's still it's still a cycle I still have to go to therapy I still need that to process things you know I've had panic attacks um I have Definitely contemplated suicide since middle school. Sometimes to the point of having visualizations, which I've discussed in therapy sessions, I have been able to visualize how I would do it. I've been tempted sometimes, even up to the current day. Uh... When I'm, especially when I'm in high-rise hotel rooms and I see, I go out to the, the balcony and look down and I just think, what's stopping me from doing it? There isn't anything stopping me from doing it. There isn't anything stopping me from using these knives. And I don't particularly have to feel down or feel hopeless or feel sad. You know, these things can be fleeting, these thoughts, these feelings, and these sight, you know, these visuals can be spur of the moment thoughts and sightings. Um, There is no definition to the experience, there is no set guidelines, there is no script to it. It and there's no cap, it's just here and it's present. And 
I'm realizing another thing I'm realizing in my journey and in my growth is that I am laughing the loudest. I'm smiling the hardest because the pain is so bad. And it's not tied to one specific thing. It's just there have been, for me personally, a litany of experiences that I cannot escape. Even with my best intentions, even with all the good vibes I put into the universe, unfortunately, in this life and in any life, we cannot control how other people treat us, how other people talk to us. But that doesn't mean we're not affected by it. And unfortunately, in my 40 years of life, I've come across many a people, persons or people or groups of people that say disrespectful shit, say ignorant shit to me. And because, like y'all, I was taught, take the high road, don't engage. I just take it to the chin and smile. And I push on. And I realized at some point later in life, I've been doing that too much and too long and not checking people enough. And it varies from person to person how you process it. Yeah, it's great in the moment to be the bigger person, but that doesn't mean you're not affected by it. And for some of us, that haunts us. The regret and the resentment haunts us. Because internally, we've let ourselves down. I mean, I think we can all agree that the high road at this point is a sardine can. Because we're not the only ones that are being taught to take the high road. You know, what's the other saying? Um, Take it on the other cheek or something like that. And it's like, it's only so many times you can take all these pricks, you know what I mean? You know, you start prick after prick after prick. You start to bleed, and the bleeding never stops. And then at some point, you become numb to it. Now, on the outside, you may look fine, but on the inside, it's you could possibly snap. And there are people out here, unfortunately, that live for the gaslighting of it all. Like, if they do nothing else, they'll set up a trap, they'll keep poking, and then when they get the desired reaction, they'll make an example like, see, I told y'all, wasn't I right this whole, all this time? So, it, it's hard, like, just imagine, and I'm, and I'm, well, I'm attempting to look at it from the perspective of another black man, DJ Twitch. You are a black man wh- who lives in a society that doesn't value your life. Then on top of that, 
you are in an industry despite all this talent and all you've given to the world and to others the joy the the positivity through your your talent and your entertainment and your skill it's you're in an industry that is fickle that is political and opportunities just come and go now given everything that dj twitch has done either as a dj or as a dancer a lot of us know most know him well from the ellen show now a lot of us know the the behind the scenes goings on on that sound stage and in the hallways and stuff of the Ellen show the stories we've heard from guests the stories we've heard from production staff that have come out since the pandemic which have ultimately led to the show being canceled or dropped or whatever so imagine you're the lifelong DJ of this show and I'm just theorizing this is you know we hear the RFUs podcast just want to talk just talk about real life um I'm sure that man has been struggling most of his life and for at least half of that he has spent most of that in entertainment and there is there was probably no downtime for him to process or further address any internal struggles he had been dealing with you know the industry you know we've been on the sidelines listening to horror stories from about the industry and especially how the journey for a black man in the industry is different. I my heart goes out to this man. You know, it's it's at some point when you're a giver, you know, you give and you give and you pour out and you pour into other people for most of your life and you're present and you're in the zone and you when the camera comes on and the light comes on it's showtime and you've been doing that all of your life I'm sure at some point multiple times in his life that he has hit the wall and probably like myself has had not only attempts but especially visions of how he was going to attempt and 
where and you know you just have no control over that sort of thing you know depression PTSD mental illness is like having this animal on your back that you can't shake and all outward appearances for the most part seem positive but on the inside it's hell and I want people to understand that you know happiness is never tied to another person never defined by material things you can have all the promise and all the potential and everything in place and all this success in your life and still be depressed and there's never a clear-cut path or you know direction back to any source it could be one thing and be multiple things And I'm pretty sure as we go into the third season of the pandemic that the added despair from the pandemic only acerbated his struggle. You know, it's, there is, it doesn't play favorites. You know, I have a friend of mine or, you know, a social associate that I keep in contact with who is younger than me, has a six-figure job, smart, has this energy and this spirit for life, very active, very connected, is very well-loved and respected, among his his friends has abundant amounts of love and support from all outward appearances, you know, and from what I've seen in pictures and the the posts that he shares through his from a spiritual perspective suffers a great deal is suffering a great deal from bipolar. He is bipolar. He has, and within that, he has some really dark days. There are some days, or sometimes I would see him, and he just has this bizarre look on his face. Not so much angry but he's definitely not there at the moment um and that's not only in person but also in pictures he just looks like he's not there um there's something not connecting all the way he 
from my experience, has not expressed physically any episodes, but you can feel the energy. And it's it's a wild thing. I, sometimes I can't even put into words for you guys what it's like dealing with mental health, mental illness as it comes and goes. You know, it's not it's not a one and done. It's not a hey I can I can put this in a suitcase or put this in a treasure chest and put it in the corner and go live the rest of my life. And you could take all the necessary steps and it's still there. And as progressive as people want to believe themselves to be, you know, this world is still very much a cold world that has, that makes no space for compassion and makes no space for understanding. And you can have as many friends or make as many friends from from work or from the industry or from, you know, business. But a lot of people, like some of us, are in survival mode. A lot of us are in a... I've done my part to put this show on and do the episodes and appear like I support the staff and team to the cameras and everything. It's anything for the show. And once the cameras and the lights are off, it's a different experience. Like we all come to work for our eight hours and we go home and we don't check on each other. Just say, hey, how you doing? And it's very easy to fall into that pattern where it's like once you get home and you get back to your life outside of work or wherever or whatever you call what you do to stay in that bubble and just focus on your next set of goals for the functionality of your house and not think of anything else. Because again, we're all in survival mode, sustainability, keeping our personal lives on a steady, above water line. And like y'all, I've been watching, you know, sudden deaths happen, people dying in their sleep, has me thinking about my own mortality, people as close as spouses of friends, uh, parents, relatives, aunts, uncles, kids even, as well as celebrities, um, both known and unknown to me just pass away in their sleep and 
people just don't know why. It's like life expectancy as we know it just seems to be closing in closer and sooner to the ages we are now. And that can scare that can scare the fuck out of you and also play a, a factor into your own mental health. It's definitely the past two or three years in this pandemic been a feeling of constant despair and constant strife with this sense of life living life on a dark staircase not knowing where or when it will happen the next step just being so tired at the end of the day not only physically but just of life sometimes and in our own lives especially speaking from my own experience not not knowing if you want to do the next day or if the next day wants to do you or have you around it's just thoughts that I've been having you know it's not it's more obvious now more than ever to me that we really are not in control of our lives or of this life you know we're not sure how much damage this COVID is doing to us those of us that have have had it uh, once some of us twice some of us more than that we have no idea the the damage the body is facing when we catch monkeypox. Or the stress and the worry of being around other people that wasn't there pre-pandemic. You know, it it's worn down on me and I'm pretty soft as it is like the hope fluctuates and the optimism fluctuates and I'm pretty optimistic but I'm also laughing louder laughing more sometimes to keep from crying this whole this whole experience in this pandemic has has in a way shifted almost 360 my um my persona and my personality and my spirit as a whole i can only imagine what dj twitch's last day was like how he was feeling internally now those of us that tend to light the room up the brightest tend to have the darkest most despaired insides spirit in contrast to that I hope I hope this 
experience inspires a lot of you to be more present in each other's lives, be more present in your family's life, be more present in your friends' lives. Just check on each other. Now, a friend of mine who I've had on the podcast several times, um, as recent as Pride Month, which was, I believe, June of this year, whose uh, younger brother passed away. And my friend is 10 years younger than me. Like, suddenly, we don't know what the cause was, but a really young dude. Like, I couldn't imagine, even when I was that age, like, to die at such a young age, they, a person will not get to see what all is possible in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s, and in their 60s. Um, And the thing about life is you just don't know at what point things will improve or the 360 that'll come positively in your life. You know, not everybody hits success at a young age. Not everybody gets on board at a young age like each of our paths are different um like a lot of us probably had a mess in our 20s but by the time we got to our 40s we're making six figures we're traveling we're, we're getting such a thrill and high out of life there are a lot of kids in who didn't make it to 25, didn't make it to their 30s. And it's like for some of us that have made it to that point where we are achieving dreams we never even dreamed of before, it makes us sad. And my heart is very sad for that brother that passed. And my heart is even more sad for his brother, one of my best friends, and their family. You know, I had a passing of a loved one uh, seven years ago. My husband, of four months at the time, passed away. I talked about I talked about that the beginning of season three, actually October of last year. Uh, by uh, I think the episode's called Bible Verses. It's like two hours long. I did the episode on the anniversary of his passing. And of course, he naturally came up. And I did an episode while that was happening real time. 25. He was 20. 28, sorry. 28 years old. And while the cause of death was hypercardiovascular disease, given that I found his pill organizer, one of his pill organizers, under the couch and found a cup with like a 
a couple of drops of soda in it in the bathroom. I knew that he had overdosed and killed himself. 28 years old. And even though I knew he was struggling really bad with other things in addition to the passing of his last biological parent, not even a month or so before. Like, I didn't see this coming. We were on the verge of moving to a bigger place, moving out of a ghetto-ass place. And he was happy for the most part. Even though he was going through stuff during that time, I could very easily say there are parallels to that experience and to what DJ Twitch was like on social media and interviews. You know, when Matt and I were around other people, he was smiling and laughing and having a good time. He was no more than usual just out and about like he always was, being the extrovert that he was. And... Even though I saw firsthand how he was privately, I didn't know it was to the magnitude that he would take his life. And I didn't know that it would be me that found his dead body outside the bedroom. Of course, it's a shock to everybody else. Like everybody at my job at the time. Everybody that came to the viewing and everybody that came to the funeral, uh, both of which was standing room only, like, that was bananas. I was outside of myself for up to a year at least. I, I had to move on. It wasn't easy. I suffered and grieved in silence first death and to date the only death that close to me like everybody in my family that's I'm close to is still alive grandmother mother um but this life doesn't play favorites and doesn't fight doesn't play fair it it's it's crazy and it's it's wild. It's just, you just don't know. And you can be as close as, close to the person as sharing the, the bed together, sharing a life together, having kids together, being married to this person. And you can be as supportive as you possibly can. Be there for them. Work with them through therapy sessions. Be present. Motivate them. And the darkness can be too great. My heart goes out to DJ Twitch and his family. And his kids and his wife, especially. It, life is just, is just very, very precious. Before I get out of here, 
to anybody that has felt like they were left behind to suffer after a person has committed suicide it is not your fault to anybody that is dealing with suicidal thoughts and visions and as far as ways that you think about ending your life or how your demise will come there's a suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255 that's to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that's open to anybody especially military veterans you know it's you're not alone it's never too late you are you matter to a lot more people than you could ever imagine and you have everything going for you and we love you this is Mr. Fox of the Iverfees podcast <sighs> love and light to anybody listening I'm pulling for you I love you <laughs>